Welcome to the Giving Gives Podcast, a podcast created for real people to share real stories as they navigate using their gifts in this weird world. If you do not know already, my name is Cassidy, and I have the privilege of capturing these stories. When planning and imagining season three, I kept coming back to this idea of making waves. I want to share stories of people who are making waves in this world. People who are challenging the way things have always been done. People whose voices may not be the first ones we hear when we turn on the news or social media, but are probably the voices that are most important to actually listen to. And this first episode is a person who is so special to me. Karamai Jutilla, or as I call her, Karamu, has been one of the most impactful people I have ever met. Actually, I'm going to read you a little snippet of a post I wrote for Karamai just about a year ago. There is this one person in particular that comes to mind every time when I'm asked why I think junior hires are so important. Karamai Jutilo walked into the room in 2011 and introduced herself. Tell me something interesting about you, I asked her, and rolling her eyes, Karamai answered. Well, I could probably take any person here and beat them at one-on-one basketball. I hate this dress I'm wearing, and my dad's a pastor, so I know if what you say is true or not. <laughs> Immediately, I knew that this girl would be a favorite. Little did I know the insane impact that she would have. Over the last 11 years, I've been given the gift of pacing closely with Karamai. We've been through it all. She's the only student to have punched me in my face, thrown up on my bed, and fact-checked every single lesson I've ever taught. Karamai is also the first person to text me on my birthday, remind me to not take the easy way out, and to send me songs and encouraging texts all of the time. Karamai loves fiercely. She challenges deeply. She displays strength and wisdom and encouragement, and she is a true fighter. Karamai was involved in a serious accident on September 9th, 2021, and I wrote all of this when she was in critical condition fighting for her life. It's one year later, and Karamai continues to beat each and every odd placed in her way. And when I think about Karamai, the first word that comes to mind is resilient. Karamai has this gift of accepting reality and overcoming each and every obstacle. A gift that has not come easy and will never be simple. And when I consider a person who's making waves in this world and a story that really everyone should hear, it's Karamai's. And I could not be more thankful that she is alive to share her story with us right now. <laughs> so my name is Karamai Jutella. Uh, my story probably starts in the very beginning. Um, so what was life like before my brain injury, before the accident? So I was born in Kazakhstan. Um, I was actually born in prison. My mom had, my mom was in prison, I don't know what she was in prison for, but she was in prison and she had tuberculosis, is that's how she died, and so she gave birth to me and then um, I became an orphan because there was no, there was no other family that we know of 
that could take care of me. So, um, so that's where life began. It began in an orphanage where, where I, I would go to two different or, orphanages. I would go to a baby house where you have, you have up, to, up to two years old, I think. And then I would go to another orphanage with that was two to six. Mm. So I was adopted around when I was six. Uh, that was to my parents, uh, my mom and dad, uh, Mary and Craig Jatella. I have two older brothers. They're 25. They're about to turn 26 in May. Um, it took about a year to get me adopted. Mm-hmm. About a year process. So about five, they started looking at me, looking into me. Um, mm-hmm. At first, at first, the orphanage told them she's not available, mm-hmm. and my parents were like, "Why? Why is she not available? Who's who's taking care of her?" And and they couldn't they couldn't give a good response to that, so they or they just kept they just kept investigating more mm-hmm. and more. Yes. Yeah, and then you moved from Kazakhstan to Orange County. Kazakhstan to Orange County at six years old. Do you and have- I've never been in a plane. I've never been in a car. So the first time I was in a car, I would throw up, like a, a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like food was all new for me. So like having like certain fruits, certain vegetables, like I I would just get sick. Like my parent uh, one time, um, my mom and dad brought bananas to everyone in the orphanage, and everyone got sick because mm-hmm. we're not used to fresh fruit. Mm-hmm. We're not used to f- fruit at all. So that was all new for us. Yeah. How much of the transition do you remember? Like going from the orphanage to then like a home with a family. Do you remember any of that? Well, I remember being, um, I was really good at folding laundry. So I would fold up my clothes and I, and I, when, when they told me that it was like, this is my room, like I freaked out because I've never had anything that was mine. Mm. So that was very new for me. So I was like, I don't think that's true. You know, I I, I thought, no, I'll, I'll probably have to give this up to someone. But no, it ended up being mine. Is that your first memory of like being in Orange County with this family? And your first memory is being like, I have a room? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, my second memory is probably being on stage. So my dad was a pastor at Saddleback Church. And so he put me on stage for the first time. And people just staring at me and I was like what's happening mm. I didn't know what I, what to think of it because I was like I don't know I'm just a I'm just a person let's talk about like early elementary what do you remember if you were to kind of like think of a few things that you remember going well, through elementary like before junior high what do you so my kindergarten class was Miss Mrs. Grahams and she was like the best teacher like you could ask for what about with friends in elementary school how would you explain your relationship with like people and friends and okay other so peers? socially I was horrible like I, I I did not pick up on things so like I to make a friend like I would just I would I would laugh or I would I would I would do weird things to get their attention and that's not how you get how you make friends trouble um, a lot because I would tickle people I would tickle to get a friend. I don't know. That's how mm-hmm. I learned. But mm-hmm. like, I learned that's probably not the best way to make a friend. <laughs> so it was kind of you would say like socially, elementary school was pretty difficult. Yes. Okay. And then talk to me about junior high, which is kind of an awkward time for everyone. I and I got to meet you in junior high. So this is where 
you know, my memory of you kicks in really strongly um, because that's when you and I met, right? Yeah. So I might have some perspective on this too, but tell me, tell me what junior high, your junior high experience was like. I don't know. It was, it was kind of weird. It was, I was trying to discover myself. Mm. It was really about getting to know myself and getting to know like what I liked and what, what I valued and I don't know how to word that. No, I think you worded that so well. It is. It's this time where you're trying to figure out who, who you, you are, are. Yeah. with friends, with family. I remember you being a junior higher and being very... I was very bold. Very bold. That's yeah. a great that's a great word. It should be scary, but it, it never was. Like, life to me was not scary at all. Why do you think that is? I, I guess because I, I would say because of the orphanage, just because I grew up in a place where, like, it didn't matter. Mm. So it didn't, it didn't really matter if it, you know, yeah. was hard. And it, it was it was funny, too, because I would say things that didn't make sense. Like, mm. I would say an idiom wrong, or I would say a metaphor wrong, or I would say something, and it, they would just laugh. And I would be like, I feel bad, but then I, at the same time, I'm like... Um, at the same time, I'm, I, I don't take it very, very hard. Mm. So it was almost like, and that probably was across the board, right? Yeah. Like family, friends, teachers. Uh-huh. So there was this kind of like people telling you you were doing things wrong, and instead of... Correcting it, I'd be, I would, would embrace it. Yes. And laugh about it. Yeah. And then you kind of went into high school. Yeah, high school was rough. Talk to me about that. I mean, it was just a rough because I figured out who I was and I was trying to be that person, but then I would always be told, no, you can't be that person or, mm. or no, you can't do what you want to do. Can you tell me about a time where someone said you can't be that person? Um, I, I, I did a club at my school for, for, called FCA. And one time, the leader there was like, you're, n- you're never allowed to speak. And so I was just, that was, that hurt. I was like, that, what do you mean I'm not allowed to speak? She's like, I don't think you should speak ever. And I was like, okay. Well, the, and, and I ended up speaking anyways because I would just, I was like, no, that's not, that's not going to happen. I'm mm-hmm. going to speak. If I want to share something, I'm going to share something. Like, you're not going to put me in this kind of corner, in mm-hmm. position. So, that's one memory. Yeah. So, it was almost this, like, sense of rejection. Like, you were yeah. being rejected by the people around you. Right. How did you respond mentally and emotionally to, like, that not, type of rejection? Not super... Well, like, what I would do is I would cover up. So, I... Like, in, in, in front of my face, you could, you could see that I'm fine... But in the back corner, I'm I'm dying, mm. but but no one would know, mm. because I would I would cover it up, so. Yeah. What What does dying mean? What was happening? Uh, like I I would cry or I would get upset or I would just, um. I would I would have I have all these fears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say is like? Do you remember being your biggest fear in high school? Um, 
being rejected. Mm. Being rejected for who I was. That's like my biggest fear. Yeah. And that was kind of happening. Right. And so I didn't know how to take it. Because you're, I mean, who, no one does. Right. You know, I think that's why this is so important to sit here with this for a minute because there are so many people navigating this right now of this incredible fear that they're holding of not being accepted. And when we're not accepted by people or peers or adults or parents, yeah, it plays a huge, it takes a huge toll on our lives. Hmm. Yeah. And, y- and you experience that toll firsthand in, a- in so many ways. I mean, you just gave me one example, but you, you probably have more, right? Uh-huh. You could think of more. What was your outlet? How did you make it? Basketball. Basketball was my huge, like exercise was just my huge outlet. I just would pour everything into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would work on basketball hours a day. Yeah. Just, just practicing on my own because I, that was the only thing I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basketball became kind of everything to you. Yes. I know that there was a lot you faced, uh-huh. especially towards the end of high school for yes. you when it comes to mental health. Yes. Can you can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I struggled with suicide. I struggled with suicidal thoughts. It just was, it became um, this, and self-harm. Like, I just, I just really, really struggled with it. And I just was like, I, I feared rejection. And then on top of that, I also just didn't like myself. And I was like, I don't like myself because of all these things. Or, or, you know, people would reject me and then I would feel this one way because of what they felt. Mm. So I would, um, yeah, I, I just really struggled. I remember you feeling like high school was the problem. Like yes. when you could leave high school, when you could be done with the place you were in, the people you were surrounded by, the negativity that was involved in that, things might get better. Yes. Right? Yeah, but things didn't. Because of the way I looked at life. I looked at life poorly. I looked at life like it wasn't a gift, like it wasn't a thing to grab onto. It was a burden. Mm. So you were carrying all this mentality that life was just hard. Right. Right, and that things and people and the world was kind of against you yes. like it was personal yes right and so then you went to college right which, which I hated you you had a really hard time with college yeah I, I couldn't I couldn't do it it was not for me so things would you say would you say that was like a rock bottom point yeah like academically I did well in school like no problem there it was just socially I had to get along with people, and I had to figure it out, and I was just, just like, I, I just, I, it, yeah, I hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did rock bottom look like for you? Um, besides, like, the suicidal thoughts, it was just, it just, I just, I was at the lowest that myself could be. Um, I, I thought of myself as very low. I looked at myself low. I looked at, like, the world low. Um, 
Like, a, like the world had nothing to offer me, mm. and I had nothing to offer it. It wasn't until I, I did DBT where things... What is that? DBT is called Dialectal Behavioral Therapy. It's a type of therapy that you can do. Um, um, I don't know how to explain it, except um, I'll use the and statements. Um, so one, one of the, one of the w- things that we would do is we would get, like, they would take, um, like, a phrase. Like, we would say to ourselves or say something like that. And we would put an and. So, um, I'm going to store and I'm eating lunch. Like, you can have both things. You can you can feel one thing and also feel another. So, you can be mm-hmm. happy and be sad at the same time. Which I, I didn't think that was possible. I was like, wait, that you can feel both of those things at the same time? Mm-hmm. Like, how incredible. So... I learned a lot of things at, at, at DBT. David I began there. to look at thoughts, the thoughts I would get as differently. Mm-hmm. I would look at them like I, I could change my thoughts. I could add this or I could change. That's, I looked at thoughts like not as a battle, but like a thing I could solve. Mm-hmm. So rather than fighting against your thoughts. Right. You acknowledged your thoughts, right? Not really. I accepted them, which is one 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 strategy that they taught me. Acceptance, yeah, of thoughts and feelings, right? Right. Whole life you spent in Orange County. Um, you're now in this therapy that um, you know, you're you're working through things, navigating through things. Then your family moves to Northern California. Yes. So when you graduate from this program. Yes. Or move on from this program. Okay. You moved to San Jose. Yes. Okay. So how old are you when you moved to San Jose? 21? 21, yeah. Maybe? I think so. I think your 21st birthday was in San Jose. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't You called me and said, guess what? I just got a drink. And I was like, okay. And you were like, and it was gross. <laughs> I was like, okay. That's why I think you were in San Jose for your 21st birthday. Yeah. So life as an adult for you kind of came with some freedom. Right. So you had some new freedom. You had this new mindset. Things were like really good. Yeah. In a lot of ways. New, good, stable. Yes. Um, you're still doing a lot of work. Right. Yeah. Like you're still in therapy. You're doing, yeah. you know, it's not like things just got better right away. No. Right. Yeah. But I, I went down to therapy uh, instead of twice a week, once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, until, until I finally went to no therapy, but that took probably about two years. Therapy is something that is, um, talked about all over right now, right? Like it's, it's kind of a trendy thing. Um, and I think there are some like pros and cons. You've experienced a lot of therapy with a lot of different people. Yes. What would you say to someone who's like trying to navigate therapy? Just give it a try. I, I would say you have to find the right person. The right person is going to make it or break it. Mm. So you have to find someone that you can trust, someone that you can be open with. Um, but take that step and that vulnerability of just being open and being able to talk about things, yeah. which are hard. Yeah. And you were finally in a place where you had a therapist you loved. Yes. You had friends 
that cared about you yeah and would allow you to care about them right um you were in a good place with your community that you were involved in uh-huh. and then things with your family got sh- shook up a little bit yeah yeah it got shook up in 2018 is when so my my family and I all went to go snowboarding up in Tahoe and what we didn't know is that we would lose a family member up there and so we lost my my dad um, died and so um, that like shook it up right there like everything was going so well and then boom that hit and you're like what just happened you finally feel like you're in this place where you're working on things mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, like all these areas of your life you're working at. You feel like you kindly, finally have like a hold on something and you lose your dad. Yeah, and you're just like, what just happened? What just happened, 100%. And now you're, now you're faced with raw emotion again, right? Right. And, and, and my mom. Like, mm-hmm. I I think that was the hardest thing, was just watching my mom fall apart. Like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to pick her back up. It, it's it, it, Because of the, if the relationship I had with my dad, if I didn't have the relationship with him, mm-hmm. it'd be different. But because I had a relationship with him, and because I was, like, a daddy's girl, mm-hmm. not a mom's girl, like, I was a daddy's girl, like, it changed. Do you remember... Okay. Um, was it waxing your mom's car? Oh yeah. What did you do? What was it? Oh, so I I, I decided to wax my mom's car, and which is that something your like your dad would have done? Yes. Yeah. So I decided to. I didn't go well. I ended <laughs> up taking off the paint. Literally taking off the paint. I was scraping off the stripes off of it because I was like, stripes should not be here. But no, you're supposed to have stripes here. So I didn't know that. But, you know, lesson learned. Lesson learned. <laughs> yeah. Insurance was great. <laughs> Insurance is great. Uh, so my my mom ended up moving back to Orange County after my dad died. Um, and so I, I, stay, I stayed up in San Jose because I had best friends that lived there. So I was like, why would I go? So I had a summer job where I was going to wash... Um, jet skis, um, work on UTVs, ATVs, boats. Um, and so I had this job where I just would go in from like an eight to five, go in, work on it, come home. Mm-hmm. No big deal, right? Um, I'd go to Life Grip, go to CrossFit. Um, was super busy all the time. Um, would do school, no problem there. And then um, as as the season went on, the, the 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 fires in California got worse. Yeah. We got we got we had hundreds of fires, like we had tons of fires that we needed to go. And so the fire department, we had a contract with them that we would deliver UTVs when they asked for them. And so um, that contract was gonna was happening. And so they were like, we need another driver. Can we train you? for a couple hours and you're good to go and I was like okay and this was the summer of 2021 yeah in northern California 
Yes. Right, just so we know what fires, because those were huge fires. Yeah. Um, so it was a, about a year ago um, that you were doing this. Yeah, so I don't remember anything of my accident, just so you know. So this is all what I've been told. So I was told that um, I was delivering a UTV up in Redding, California, um, and my truck, we're still investigating it, and we, we are not sure what happened, but there's... Um, that my, that I, I, I tipped it all the way over. So I flipped it. Um, so I told the truck, I got into a big car accident where my life was on the line. Like the doctors told my mom, yeah, she's probably not going to live. Like she's probably not going to make it just be ready for anything, you know? And so my mom gets the call and to make it worse, it's on her birthday (laughs) just to make it worse. So yeah, that happened, and um, so I was in a coma for about 20 days, um, um, and I wasn't in an induced coma, just so mm-hmm. you know. It's not, it's not medicated. It's, they were trying to get me out of a coma, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't come out of it. Um, and so my mom, though, she, I mean, she started a new job and everything, but she took off work. She was like, all right. 100% I'll be there for her so um, we were in Redding California and then after Redding she wanted me in the best hospital so we went to Craig Hospital um, up in Colorado um, and so I got transported there and that was where I got to walk and I got to eat for the first time mm-hmm. I couldn't walk and I couldn't eat mm-hmm. um, and so that was that was a game changer right there just the hospitals alone could get me to do things like that yeah Yeah. how long were you at Craig for three months three months yes what was the biggest challenge you faced at Craig that was it was talking because I would I would want to say something and I would have it in my brain but I wouldn't it wouldn't come out and so I'd be so pissed because I, I knew what I wanted to say, but it would, it would literally not come out. Like I had to, sometimes I would write it down, but my writing was terrible. You can't even read it because it looks like a, a two-year-old wrote it. Like, it's terrible. Yeah. And, and you're cognitively thinking. Like you're right. aware that you need something or you want something or you have something to express and you just can't physically express that right and the bathroom was also the the, also really hard Mm. it was getting to the bathroom Mm -hmm. in time before I had an accident was hard and being aware of that yeah like it's like I'm aware that I need to do this and I'm aware I don't want to have an accident right right yeah so it it was hard yeah what what about your memory like, because you mentioned... Memory was, was gone. Yes, so... So memory was way... I, it wasn't until the end, the last month of Craig, where my memory got a little bit better, but, like, I couldn't remember, like, what happened that day, or I couldn't even remember a sentence before, mm-hmm. or I couldn't, I couldn't remember the basic things. Right, so you went from zero memory of anything. Like, I don't know who I am, I don't know where I'm at... Right. What was the first moment that you remember being aware of who you were? Do you remember that moment? 
Um, I remember the past a little bit. Okay, so things, how, yeah, like, so did things come back? Yeah, things started to come back to me. I was like, oh, yeah, I went to high school. Oh, yeah, I, I went, I was, I was doing this job, or I, I started remembering a couple weeks before the brain injury. Right. Yeah. Which, like, is kind of fascinating because you said one of your coping strategies growing up was kind of just forgetting things, like putting things on the back burner, uh-huh. right? Like ignoring things. Yeah. So not only did you have to work through that, through all the different therapies, now you're in a place where you just almost lost your life and you're in this space and now you're having to remember all of these challenging things. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? It was it was hard, yeah. I don't know what else. That's that. There's probably nothing else to say. It was hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it was challenging. Like there were times where like my memory would come back for like a brief moment, and it was like a trauma or trauma based. And I was like, "What am I supposed to do with this? Like, what? I don't know what to do with this. Like, what am I supposed to do?" Like, I would, I, would, I would have so much anxiety and so much... I would be so stressed out. Yeah. All the time. Okay. I would literally request people that knew how to deal with anxiety. Because mm-hmm. I felt so anxious all the time. Right. Did you have any of those thoughts again? Because you, you navigated through... You, you mentioned a lot of, like, suicidal thoughts. You navigated through physical harm. You navigated through... A little bit, yeah, a little bit came back to me, and I didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. I was I was stuck. I just asked, like, a thousand people, like, what do I do with this? And no one could tell me, and I'm like, does no one know what to do with any of these things? And mm-hmm. it was it was really hard because it, Craig is not a mental health place. Right. But they don't know how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So for me to bring that up, they are not, they're not sure what to do. Mm-hmm. And it's met with, like, huge physical obstacles, which you mentioned your whole life sports was was an outlet for you. And then later on, CrossFit was a huge outlet for you. And yeah. now you have this physical challenge. What was that like? Yeah, so, so the first time I was able to walk, it was, like, a huge milestone. Because we were told that, yeah, she'll never walk and she'll probably mm-hmm. be in a coma for the rest of her life. Like, um so it was huge yeah when I got to visit you um at Craig (laughs) which was last October that I got to come and and spend some days with you and you had just taken your first steps maybe a couple weeks before I got there maybe a week before I got there okay you weren't do you remember do you remember any of this Uh uh-huh yeah yeah so like you weren't supposed to walk right like you were in a wheelchair you were supposed to have help doing everything, right? Yes. <laughs> you said, there was one nurse that said, Karamai, you can't walk. And you said, oh, yes, I can. I can walk. I'm not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, there was a moment, probably a couple of days before, where we were like celebrating, like she's she just took her first steps. And from that point on, like the fierceness of Karamai came out to play. Like, no one's going to tell me to sit down now. <laughs> you had to relearn all the things from walking to talking to identifying what you need, how to express those things. Um, 
you had to relearn your whole life. You had to relearn about this accident and relive all these things again. Uh-huh. And now it's been, by the time this plays, it's going to be like exactly a year since all this happened. Yeah. Okay. Now you went, just in the last like couple weeks, you moved from Colorado back to Orange County. Yes. Kind of a full circle moment. And you're here. Therapy is still going. Talk to me about like what's happening right now. So right now I'm in a, I'm in a day program where I do therapy nine to four every day, and I do therapy at home afterwards, where I do rec therapy and speech, and um, counseling. I'll start soon. Yeah. Hmm. So it's still a lot of work ahead of you. Yes. Yeah, and this has changed. They're, they're saying about six months to a year uh, that I have more of therapy. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, and you're not, I mean, you've, every single thing that they told you, you would never do again. Yeah, I should go back to Reading Hospital and be like, show you guys. Take that, ho. (laughs) That's what you should tell them. (laughs) What did you you just... I just ran a 5K. Someone told you they didn't think you were going to walk again. And I proved them wrong. And you ran a 5K. Yeah. In less than a year. Yeah. How has this event shifted how you see your future? I see my future as more of a behavioral support, more as a one-to-one. Also, I see myself maybe working at Craig, maybe being a behavioral aide, the people that supported me and that maybe I could do that. How are you identifying your gifts in the midst of all of this right now? Um, I'm just seeing what I can offer to the world. Mm-hmm. I look at the at the at the perspective of the world and look at what I can do well, very differently. I look at life like as a gift, not as a not as a not, not as I have to. Mm. So I look at life a lot differently than I do before. Yeah, well, Caramel, I just want you to know, I am so thankful that you are alive. I'm so thankful for the impact that you have had in my life in so many ways. I mean, I really honestly, when I met you as a junior hire, I had never had someone who challenged me as a human more than you did, and I never had anyone who accepted me more as a human than you did. Um, Cool. So I just want you to know I'm so thankful for you and your story, and I just am so excited to continue to see how you approach life. Because you are a force to be reckoned with. If what you want is to brighten up your week, a joke may be what you need. What did the cricket say? What? I don't know, because I don't know what the cricket would say. I don't know the joke. (laughs) (laughs) That was the joke? (laughs) The joke was I don't know the joke. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Giving Gifts. Like, share, and subscribe. This show is the shit. Spread some love and joy. Know that
Take your gift.